0: You know what I'd love to do to start off? I usually pray after I read the scripture. I just feel like that's, uh, it kind of, you know, really puts me in the mindset to absorb this. But I think today I'd just like to start in prayer. We've got a lot of families that are hurting, and I think that, that getting our hearts in a place to really receive what God has for us this morning is where, I, where I'd like to start. So please pray with me. Father, we come to you because you are... <laughs> the only place that we find the peace, the rest, the wisdom that we so desperately need. And we have so many families that are experiencing trauma and loss and pain and heartbreak, Father, that that we can't help but have our hearts broken as well. And so we pray, Lord, that you would use us today to be... uh, just instruments of your grace and your mercy in the lives of the people we love. There's there's often not words, and that's okay. Help us not to feel like we need to give answers or try and explain things as much as just to be present with the people that are suffering in our family. And Lord, that only comes by your spirit and your wisdom. And so we surrender. Help us today to surrender everything that we are to you that you may give us the voice to speak or the silence to sit. Whatever it is that you need from us, help us to be obedient, to listen to your voice today. And I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to your word because so much of this is relevant, not just 2,000 years ago, but what's going on in our lives right now. So help us, Lord, to receive your word today, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, and that we would respond to you In the way that you desire lord we are utterly and completely dependent on you every single day and we pray for you to have the glory in this church and in this world that only you deserve all honor and all praise to you jesus our lord and our savior amen Okay, we are jumping back into a series in the book of Acts. If you can't tell right there, it's up on the screen. And we haven't been in Acts for a while. During the summer, we took a break. We're going to be in the book of Acts until Christmas. So get ready. We have a ways to go. And, and I will say this right up right up front. I was the last person to preach in the book of Acts. And I so wanted to preach the passage that I'm going to get to today. But I had no idea who was going to be the first one to preach the first message when we jump back into the book of Acts. And so God, thank you for giving that to me today. It's a a very important message for us. But how in the world, we're in Acts chapter 15, by the way, at the very end. How in the world did we get here? The book of, as we just go over a quick summary here. The book of Acts gives us... a a picture. Remember, this is part of a two-volume series written by Luke. Luke is not one of the 12 disciples. He's someone who spent a lot of time with Paul. Paul talks about him regularly, but what he talks about, Luke says this is in his gospel of Luke. These are the things that Jesus did, and then in Acts is really a continuation. These are the things that Jesus continued to do through his disciples, so in Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus. He's resurrected. He comes to the disciples, and he gives them instructions. Very specifically, in the first chapter, he says, you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, the southern and northern regions of, outside of Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. So they have... They have marching orders, and Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father. But before he does that, he promises them that God is going to send his Spirit to guide them. Which is exactly what happens in chapter 2. The Spirit comes on the disciples, and they are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. There are thousands of people in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost at this time, and they are preaching the kingdom of God in languages that they are not familiar with, but that all the people who have come from all over these places understand the the message that they're sending in their own language. And so thousands of people are brought into the church, into this group of new Jesus followers there in Acts chapter 2. And and this continues in Jerusalem until we get to Acts chapter 6 which is when the first persecution begins. This is when the leaders, the the religious leaders in Jerusalem start pressuring. You got uh, Peter and John and Stephen here teaching about the kingdom of God and they start to experience such pressure that Stephen lays out this massive sermon to them and they stone him. They throw throw rocks at him until he dies. And that is the persecution that initiates really what happens in Jerusalem chapters 8 through 12, which is leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea and Samaria. And so there's a lot, a lot of things that happen in here, but one of the important things that happens to be very relevant to our story today is in Acts chapter 11, where there's this multicultural, multi-ethnic group of Jesus followers that gather in this place called Antioch, which is the capital of Syria. It, it, and it, it's the first place that people are called Christians, Where we're at in our story today is in Acts 15, really in this middle section of the missionary journeys where first Paul and Barnabas go through their long missionary journey and we are right in the section before they are about to split and go out on the second missionary journey. And at the end of these chapters, you have Paul going out on the third missionary journey. So that's where we're at today. We're in the middle of the missionary journeys and that's everything that's happened to get us to this point. So if you have your Bibles... We'll be in Acts chapter 15. We're just going to look at six verses today, so you can read along with me. I've got it in the notes as well. We'll start here in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, "'Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing.'" And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is not a high point in church history. This is not a story where you look at and you say, that is the behavior that I want to emulate. And I'm glad that Luke put it in here, to be honest with you, because, you, you know, you can accuse the Bible of a lot of things, but sugarcoating the sin and behavior of the people in the Bible is not one of them. And so this disagreement really is something I think both Paul and Barnabas would probably look back upon and wish that it went differently. You can hear it in the letters of Paul because unity and agreement are such an important part of Paul's letters that your heart just breaks to see that he is the one who's at the center of this disagreement that is so sharp that he's willing to part ways with a brother in Christ that he who knows what everything they went through on their first missionary journey together but the disagreement is is so sharp they're willing to let to let you know to, to part ways and look people are messy we we know, we know that people are messy in our families they're messy at work they're messy in politics and I hate to say this they are also messy in church, which I, I will say this. It's one of the reasons that I, I really appreciate. I love that we have the, the welcome sign on the front of the building because it's, it's like a warning label, you know, <laughs> but before you walk into these doors, this is what you can expect. So if you walk out of here saying, well, ah, those people, there's some stuff going. Yeah, it's on the door, right? There's a warning label before you enter in here. And I will tell you this, I, you know what? I remember walking into the first time I walked into this church, it was over 20 years ago now, and some, when I say this, some of you are going to completely identify with what, with what I'm about to say. I walked in through those doors, and the first thought that went through my mind was, somebody's going to recognize me in here <laughs> from my behavior out there, <laughs> and they are going to come up and tell me I have no business being in here. And that was self imposed, obviously, people are very gracious. But it took me years to realize that a lot of people on Sunday morning actually have the same problems that I do. Because sin is a universal human problem. It's not just me, it's not just Paul and Barnabas, it's all of us. So, really, what I'd like to do today is I want to ask three main questions of the text What's the problem? Who's right? And what, is Paul, what, is, what does God do with their disagreement? So what's the problem? Who's right? And what does God do with their disagreement? And then we'll discuss a few things I think that are really practical for us to take away today. So we'll just start here in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So we've got a couple things here. We've got Paul and Barnabas sometime later means, uh, we're not going to know. It's not five days, could be five years, we're not sure. We've got two people, Paul and Barnabas, that are very important to this early church. Barnabas, we see actually back in Acts chapter 11, is one of the most important pieces in this Christian church in Jerusalem. He's actually the one they asked to go to get Paul and bring to the church in Antioch. See this in chapter 11. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You know, there's a lot going on here with, with, we'll just get to it. Barnabas basically, I want to say this, he's the one who vouches for Paul. He's the one who finds Paul. And Tarsus, and brings him to that place, and, and, and really introduces him to this first church. It's the Spirit of God, by the way, if you go back to their first missionary journey, that chooses both Paul and Barnabas to go together on that first missionary journey. So these guys are very close now, Paul, on the other hand, we know his backstory. He was one of the highest ranking religious, Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee, and he, his story, really the conversion of Paul, happens in Acts chapter 9, where he's on his way to Damascus, just trying to arrest Christians, and Jesus comes to him, blinds him, and turns him around, right? Not, not figuratively, literally. He becomes not just this you know, Pharisee, he becomes one of the great missionaries. For Jesus as the Messiah. So it's a major transfer, transformation for him too. We read about this in Acts chapter 9. Saul, that's Paul. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues, the Jewish churches, that Jesus is the son of God. And all who heard him were astonished. And not in a good way. Some of them in a good way. Some of them not. He started ruffling so much feathers that they, this is when they send him to Tarsus. And and look, he could be there for 10 years or more before Barnabas is sent to go get him. But Barnabas remembers, he knows this this is who we need to go get. And he goes and gets him and brings him back. Both of these guys are strong leaders. And both of these guys are a very important part of the early church. So what is the problem? Well, it's very clear what the problem is. See that in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul did not because he deserted them, wouldn't continue the work. So the problem is Mark. According, this is the, this is the argument, it's over Mark. Now, who, who is Mark? He's referred here to John Mark. For this way, we'll, we'll call him Mark. He is the author of the second letter that we have in our New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. It's also important to recognize that he is the cousin of Barnabas. Now, that's an important detail for a number of reasons, but you know, maybe not the strangest thing. Look, this is a this is an era where you were you died in the town you were born. Your parents were born, they died. Their, your grandparents were born, they died. There's not a lot of of huge travel apart from your family. So, living close to people that you that you were related to is is not really a big deal. But it does introduce the dynamic of family into a disagreement and most of us i think could identify with that dynamic so barnabas wants mark to go paul doesn't and paul's reasoning goes back to something that's recorded in acts chapter 13 on their first missionary journey it says from paphos paul and his companions sailed to perga and pamphylia where mark left them to return to jerusalem Why did Mark leave? Doesn't tell us. We don't know. And I'll tell you, there's a danger in trying to fill in details in the blanks that we don't have. Now, we're all very good at doing it, but it's not something that you really, really want to jump to. Now, did he leave because he was afraid the mission was going to be dangerous? That's probably the most likely you know, reason for that. Paul (laughs) on this missionary journey is going to have rocks thrown at him until they think he's dead. So we know it was a very dangerous mission, but we don't know that that's exactly why Mark left. Maybe he had to return for family reasons. Maybe he had a wife who was sick or a mother. We don't know. Maybe his football team made it to the Super Bowl, (laughs) right? It doesn't tell us we just know that Paul's not willing to take him because he wouldn't finish the last mission. <laughs> Paul's got a valid argument, doesn't he? I mean, you're about to go into really dangerous territory here and sharing the good news of this kingdom of God. And you don't want to take anybody who would compromise that mission, who's not going to finish that mission. On the other hand, Barnabas, is, he sees something in Mark that Paul doesn't. He wants to be gracious with Mark and give him a second chance. Uh, But they come to a head in verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. This is, in the Greek, it's not as gentle. It's 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 a very harsh, loud disagreement between the two of them. It's, an, it's not a, a pretty way of, of, of parting with company. Um, Luke didn't write this in English. We've, we've translated it this way. They, they had an argument that was so bad, they, they were not willing to continue together. And unfortunately, many of us know those arguments as well. So we're not going to sugarcoat that. So I want to ask you, who is right? So I think that's the question that we all want to jump to, right? Okay, who's right? Who's, whose side do we choose here? It's, 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 we're so ingrained to choose sides today. We, we want to be on the right side and then whoever's on the wrong side, we, you know, we picture them as enemies and they're, they're all bad and the other side does the same thing. It's very human nature to kind of have that, you know, choose sides and, and the other side is always wrong. But this, I will tell you is actually a trick question. So I'm glad none of you answered yeah. because Luke doesn't tell us who's Right? Matter of fact, Paul doesn't even talk about who's right. And neither does Barnabas. But we do have our two very clear personalities at work here that I think that most of us will recognize in our own lives. Paul's primary focus is on the mission. That, that's the priority, and, and for good reason. So he's unwilling to take Mark because he thinks Mark is going to compromise the mission. I mean, he, 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 Jesus himself said this, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So yeah, what's Jesus saying? You don't get to start on this journey and then turn around and ditch everybody. That's not how this works. But I think at the same time, can't you picture Barnabas looking at Paul and saying, yeah, yeah, but what about Peter? Peter denied Jesus three times. And what did Jesus do with him? He restored him. Because he knew, he knew Peter's heart, and he knew Peter was going to turn around. And I think Barnabas is asking the same thing of Paul. But there is a determination in Paul that is not going to be stopped. And we all know people like this. People, these are the people who, they're the ones who plan the trips. They're the ones who make the decisions. They're the ones you go to when you want something done that you don't want to do yourself because you know that they're going to get it done no matter what it takes. I, I, want to ask you, I want to ask you another question. How many of you in this room have experienced what I like to call always in a hurry travel dad? Okay, there's, 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 there's one. If you're not raising your hand and you're a dad, you're probably guilty, Okay. <laughs> Uh, hurry travel dad. I like to call HTD, hurry travel dad. Hi, my name is Corbett, and I am a recovering hurry travel dad. <laughs> now, I, I get it. The, it. You know, if the hurry travel dad doesn't push everybody, we're never going to get there. Right? You know, he sees his dad. He's walking like this. He's in the airport, you know, and he's, he's just hurrying, leaving everybody behind because we got to make that flight. That, that's just how it is. Look, if we don't push, it's not going to happen. And, and I admit, sometimes sometimes we may lose sight of the feelings of the people that we're traveling with. We, we may be at SFO and leave our pregnant wives behind us because our surfboard has to get to check in or it's not going to make it on the flight. That was a confession (laughs) that I am guilty of. My wife has been very gracious with me, and I'll never do that again. Lord. If we're driving, nobody better have to go to the bathroom. Right? I don't care how long it is. We we can't stop every time someone has to go to the bathroom. It's going to be 25 hours before we get there. And uh, look, I, I will say this, God, God has uh, <laughs> graciously, as has my family, worked on my heart in this area, and I have, uh, you know, not, not begrudgingly, but just come to a place where I realize the people I'm with are more important than how long it takes me to get there. And um, yeah, I'm sorry uh, for a lot of the push that I've done in, the, in those areas because uh, yeah, okay, it's gonna take us 20 hours to get there. We're gonna stop every hour to go to the bathroom. And, and that's okay because, because I'm still working through this, okay? It's okay because the people I'm with uh, matter more to me than uh, how long it takes us to get there. And so I'll continue to work through that. Thank you. I appreciate your prayers. <laughs> <sighs> Look, I, th- I think this is, this is, you know, kind of where Barnabas has ended up. Not in the hurry travel dad. In, in, in the grace for the people that you're with. You know, his name literally means son of encouragement which again should give you a picture of who he is. And we do get a picture of that really going back to Acts chapter 11 as he's sent to this church in Antioch. It says, news reached the church in Jerusalem where he's at, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Now, a detail that's not in here that we need to be reminded of is this church is filled with Jews and Gentiles, and that's an argument that was going on in the Council of Jerusalem just before this and an argument of the Jerusalem church. What, what are these Gentiles going to have to do to become, you know, welcomed into God's family? They're going to have to go through these ceremonial laws. And they came to the conclusion, no. And here Barnabas shows up and sees that the Spirit of God is with these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, just as much as the Jews. And what does he say? Con- it's good. It's good. Continue in the Lord verse 24 says this, says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. See, I think to Barnabas, his focus is grace for people. He's a man who, I think, sees people as the mission When you see people as the mission, you are far more likely to be gracious with them and to extend them second chances when they make mistakes. Now, it might help a little bit if you're related to them, but it's clear Barnabas is not willing to write Mark off, even though he's made huge mistakes in the past. It is important to note here as well that that Paul and Barnabas are not arguing about sinful behavior like what to accept, what not to accept. They're not arguing about doctrine. They're not arguing uh, you know, about false teachers or whether salvation comes by grace or by the law. They're arguing about how to carry the message of God's grace to the people. And so when I asked you, who do you think is right, how you answer that question actually, I think speaks more to your personality than it does this story. Because e- each one of us have a little bit of both of these tend to maybe waver back and forth between them. But Luke doesn't comment on who's right, which I I think is that, you know, some of that tension I felt, I don't know if you felt this last week when Dan was working through the thorn in Paul's side, and all of us want to know, what's the thorn? Just tell me what the thorn is so I can know if I have it or if someone else has it. And and we're not told what the thorn is. See, because what the thorn is isn't the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is that God is greatest in us when we are the weakest and most dependent on him. And, And so I think, again, who's right and who's wrong in here isn't told. So we don't take the easy route, which is to choose sides. But to understand, I think, honestly, you could make an argument that both these guys were right. Paul was right to say, look, this is an important mission. It's going to be dangerous. We can't take anybody who's going to compromise that. And I think Barnabas, again, could also be right in saying, hey, hey, look, we, we need to be gracious with Mark and bring him along. But I think you could also argue that they were both wrong because of how they handled it by parting ways and not being willing to compromise. So the next question that we ask here is, what does God do with their Disagreement. Second half of verse 39 continues, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia. And what happened? What does God do with their disagreement? He strengthens the churches. That's not a mistake that that is at the end of our text today. It's the first thing that I really want you to notice is that in the midst of this dysfunction, God still accomplishes his purpose and strengthen strengthens the church. As a matter of fact, what you see here on the map up there, the black line, um, that it goes down to Jerusalem, but they're up in Antioch where the red line starts, red arrow. And you got Paul and Silas are going to go northwest, up through all those territories and then back around. And... Then you've got Barnabas and Mark, and Barnabas and Mark are going to go to the island of Cyprus where they started last time. So God is going to accomplish his mission, even in spite of our dysfunction, which is a very encouraging thought to me, because if it were up to me, this ship would crash. But it is God and his grace that continues to work through us when we surrender to him in every aspect of our lives. Now, there there are a, a, a few things that I want to just takeaways I want us to get from this text. And the first is this: grace will often mean missional flexibility. And, and what do I mean by missional flexibility? What, what I mean is that in relationships and in, in ministry, there is often more than one right answer. It, it is possible. I know this is crazy. It is possible to accomplish the same goal with different means and relationships don't have to end over disagreements like this. You know, I I have some friends who love street evangelism and and they're very good at it because, you know, they're not standing on the corner with a bullhorn yelling at people. They're, They're handing out water and snacks for free, and they do it at the farmer's market, that yesterday they were at the gondola, and they're just handing out snacks, and they strike up conversations with people, and sometimes those conversations are short, they're brief, and if anything, they've loved their neighbor and given them a snack and something to drink. But sometimes those conversations go deeper, and they start diving into Scripture together, and they hand them some Scripture to take home, and who knows what God is going to do with their faithfulness to go out and to do that. Look, I I think that's a very necessary mission field to reach people that aren't in here. I also know people who, if you asked them to do that, would probably throw up from anxiety before they got there. Right? No way am I doing, oh, you know, they're they're out. That's just not their gift. But I, I will tell you this. A lot of those people are the same people that work so hard behind the scenes, you will never know what they do. They will pray faithfully for people they don't know for years. And the point I'm trying to make here is that both of those are important. They're, they're different methods, but the, the mission is the same. The mission is the glory of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are many parts but one body. We're not all gifted the same, and that's okay. We all contribute the gifts that God has given to us for the same purpose. But unity is a huge, huge part of Paul's message and also Jesus. And so, I, I look... It's important for us to understand this, this next point, which is that separation does not have to mean disunity. Sometimes we will have to separate with people because we, we just can't do it together. Now, what God does with this is he doubles the mission But again, this is not a highlight in the church. This is not an example for us to follow in how we want to leave a church or we want to leave a relationship. That's not what this is in here for. You know, one of the reasons that I think Luke puts this in there is to show the mistakes of even the people that we follow that we trust the most. You know, John Piper commenting on this passage, he says this. He says, Sometimes we have too idealistic a view of the church and the church leaders. And when some church or church leader disappoints us, we're tempted to question the power of the gospel and give up on the Christian faith. And you see this oftentimes in very large churches where they have a pastor who has become so popular and, and then something happens in his life and, and the, he, he, he's not able to lead that church anymore and the entire church crumbles because it wasn't actually built on the word of God and the good news of Jesus. It was built on the personality of that celebrity pastor. See, that's, this is a warning to that. They, these guys have warts too. So, so we can't put our hope in them. That's not where our hope is meant to be. Piper continues, he says, but God wants us to be biblical realists. So he takes the needle of Acts 15 and he pops the bubble of unhealthy idealism. He doesn't do it to make us disillusioned or cynical. He does it to help us learn to cope with the challenges of living in a sin-cursed world. Now, I, I, I can't remember if it was, gosh, it's got to be at least five, maybe six years ago now. Uh, during the summer, John Piper who has been a, just an amazing resource for me in, in learning and studying theology and what it means to be a pastor. And there's some things I'm, I'm not on the same page with him, but for the most part, man, he has been such an influence in my life and my ministry. And he was here on a Sunday morning one summer uh, because he was just up here for vacation for a you know, family, and he's sitting, and it's before church starts. And the second confession of the message here, I I run down like I'm a 13-year-old girl at a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> you know, and he's sitting there with his, with uh, with his wife Noel and I'm just I'm so thankful and I'm thanking him for his ministry and all that it's meant to me and and you know, thanking his wife has been a support to him. <sighs> Man, you know, just It's like days later, I'm having this moment, like, did you really just do that to the guy? He's never coming back, (laughs) right? You just fanboyed John Piper. Why would you do that? You know, and I'm thinking, God has used John in a very important way in my life. And if something were to go sideways in his life, none of that would change, Right. right? Because it's not based on John. It's based on what God's done through John which is a good reminder for all of us. That the third takeaway I think is so important of this is to anytime we experience this disagreement, this discomfort, this, this conflict in our relationships, it's is, is so important for us to reject animosity and trust God's process. This is not what the world does, by the way. We take sides and we shoot arrows at each other. Now, Paul and Barnabas, by the way, this is, this is important. They do not go off and start their own churches. They don't, Paul doesn't go start the anti-Barnabas church. And Barnabas doesn't start the anti-Paul church. They continue with the mission that God sent them to do, and that is important. See, it's important because this is why Jesus had to come. It's not Paul or Barnabas that forgive our sins. It's Christ and his blood shed through the cross for all of us sinners. It it is why Christ, who is the Messiah, comes to reconnect us to God and to each other. So to embrace that, we have to reject the animosity to our brother that Christ has redeemed by his blood just as much as ours. And and that's why I think it's so important to be gracious with the people that you disagree with. And we're going to see that in Paul and his letters and later on, even in his relationship with Mark. See, never forget, God is the one who gets to deal with that judgment. We get to be the ones who express grace and mercy and forgiveness towards each other so that the world can see there's something different in here. Not just the sign on the door, but people who recognize the redemption of Christ in their own lives. See, it begins with humility. Humility really is the foundation to a heart that's close to God. It's surrendering everything that we have, all of those thoughts, all of that anger, all of that animosity, all of those what ifs to God. And to trust that he is doing in our lives what he's doing especially with the people that we disagree with and that we don't choose sides when it isn't necessary. You know, Paul would later write in his letters so much about this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And again, in Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And look, if you're wondering if those words are sincere from Paul, Second Timothy, Paul writes this letter probably 10 years after this story in the book of Acts, and he's in Rome in prison, likely facing his execution. And I want you to look who he asks to come see him. He says, only Luke is with me, get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. It, two things have happened here. Paul has shifted his idea on what the ministry is. And he has also seen the value of his brother, Mark. You know, we don't hear from Barnabas again. From this point forward, it's really Paul. But Paul does mention Barnabas and working with him in Second Corinthians, and and so I just you know I, in all of this text, God, we 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 are hurting in so many ways, and I and I just want us to guard against the animosity in our lives towards the people that we disagree with. I, I really I want us to reject that and to allow God to have the glory in His process in whatever that looks like. See, I, I want us to surrender all of ourselves to God. And allow him to be glorified, to double, triple, quadruple the ministry in whatever it looks like. Because this is not a high point in the history of the church. It's not something we're to emulate. It's something we're to learn from not to do. And so that, that's what I'd ask of us today, to receive the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to know that his blood through the, through the cross covers the sins of the people we disagree with as much as our own. And that is the message that we take and we preach to a hurting world out there. Christ has redeemed us and he's in the process of redeeming this world and that is what we pray for. Lord, it's what we ask from you today, that you would have your way in our hearts, that you would draw us to you and that you would allow us to be people who are filled with both grace and mercy and at the same time recognize the importance of the mission, that we would encourage people who are accomplishing that purpose in a different way than we are. I I am not gifted to hand out two billion Bibles, and I am so grateful that you have gathered people who will do that, I'm grateful that you gathered people who are willing to to share food and water and the message of your glory. I'm grateful for people who are behind the scenes praying and serving in, in a way that nobody will ever know. I'm grateful for your family, God, and I pray for your healing to be upon it. Send us as missionaries of your grace and your mercy and your love and the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here today, guys. We're going to continue our worship with our offering. So if we could have our ushers come forward, we'll do that now. And uh, we're going to close with one last song. Have an amazing Sunday, guys.